All right, folks. Hopefully, a few more people will uh, will come in. Um, I do need to point out that there is a significant typo right at the very top of the page. Today is definitely May 16, not May 9. Um, so sorry about the confusion. I noticed it myself. When I set my papers right here, I went, oh, shoot. Uh, and I'm going to blame Microsoft Word for this. Uh, I, I just got Microsoft uh, 365. And time out of memory, I've been able to just work on a document and click Save As. And uh, um, all my things are different, and with the old documents, still fine. But in 365, it auto-saves everything that you do. And so I had to go learn a new way to do this, which is basically you create a new copy, and it's just process. Is that safe, though? Yeah. <laughs> well, see, I should have just talked with Becca. That's really most things go around here. Uh, all right, let's pray. Still in Psalm 119 for uh, a while. Oh Lord, we hate the double-minded, but we love your law. You are our hiding place and our shield. We hope in your word. Depart from us, evildoers, that we may keep the commandments of our God. Uphold us according to your promise that we may live, and let us not be put to shame in our hope. Hold us up that we may be safe, and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, therefore we love your testimonies. Our flesh trembles for fear of you, and we are afraid of your judgments, but we cling to your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I, I keep having this little bit in the, in the front part called prolegomena. It literally means to speak beforehand, um, but uh, I have a very important thing to talk about in our prolegomena today, and that is coffee. As the restrictions have been diminished, we could have a pot in here if, uh, if, if, if that you know, would be appealing to the class. What's that? Okay, so we need two pots. We need regular and decaf, leaded and unleaded. Or just use the Keurig machine. The problem with the Keurig machine, though, is, I mean, that takes a significantly pe long period of time, you know, per cup. I would say use the Keurig machine for decaf because not many people. Oh, did you hear that? No, said Yes, that's, what she, that's exactly what she said, is, you know, um, if we make a regular pot, you know, all, all the people who want the leaded can come in here, and you can get your decaf, you know, right there. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. Um, so what would need to happen is that uh, um, somebody would be willing to make it. So um, I'll let you discuss that among yourselves in terms of who is interested in uh, uh, making coffee. If you're sitting there going, 
but I don't know how with the coffee here and the big fancy machine. I know a gal who can teach you. And, uh, um, you know, she'd be glad to do that. And I'm speaking on her, you know, behalf of this, you know, that obviously I'm talking about Becca. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, if, if you're interested in taking that on, um, you know, please, we, we will empower you to do that. Uh, the other, uh, other little bit of stuff that I wanted to mention beforehand um, is uh, the first three Sundays of June, um, I'm going to be away. Um, the first Sunday in June, I've been uh, uh, invited to be a presenter at the uh, men's retreat in Chautauqua. Um, and so I, uh, I'm privileged and, and uh, thankful for that opportunity. Um, and the next two Sundays, I'm going to be on vacation. And uh, so um, I'm a little bit nervous about this, actually. I have never been away that long. In my whole career, I've, I've never been away uh, for that many Sundays in a row. And, uh, you know, and if you talk with my wife about my ability to relax, um, my ability to relax is relatively non-existent. And, um, and so I, I'm a little bit keyed up about going on vacation, and that makes zero sense. Uh, but um, Pastor Zachrich is going to be here. And uh, um, I don't... I, I love Dave Zacharich. He is a great man and a great pastor and a uh, real theologian and an academic and, and all of those, those things. Um, but I don't want to hand over the study. Um, if you would like to continue to meet during those three Sundays, would you like for me to ask uh, Pastor Zacharich to put together like a three-week something and then we'll come back to Romans when I get back? Does that, does that sound okay? All right, I, I, I will do that then. All right, and I think that is all I had uh, to get us started. So let's jump into Romans 5. I am hopeful to get through five verses today. That, and, and, and if I get through five verses, I'm going to be really, really happy. Because there is a lot in these five verses. So Romans 5, 1 through Five. So what you've got, what you got going on here is he's talking about the righteousness of God and he's building up his argument, first of all, that none of us is righteous enough. And now he's getting into discussing more and more of what God does to make us righteous. And that's part of the reason that, that in a sense, it's bogging us down because this is amazing stuff and it, 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 it's worth a, a closer look. So, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Uh, verse 1, since we have been justified. Uh, this is a passive participle, um, and I want to mention that because uh, it's passive. You didn't earn this righteousness. You, you, you didn't, you know, this, it's completely gift 
language. This is, you know, God doing this for you and in you. This is, this is one of those dikaio verbs that, or words that I mentioned um, a, a while back. Literally, you could translate it, having been made righteous. We have, we have these words that we use a lot that are, are jargonish. Every industry, every group has them. Okay? Uh, a few years ago, um, well, it's more than a few years ago now, but uh, I, I remember that uh, there was a big movement in the church regarding evangelism saying, you've got to get rid of all the jargon words. And I, I, I can kind of sympathize with that, but on the other hand, um, it's how we talk. I think you need to make a bridge to help people understand the jargon words. You know, you, you, you want to be understood, that, that's clear. But at the same time, you, you can't just get rid of everything. This word justification is one that is often, you know, nobody understands justification. But everybody tries to justify their behavior, don't they? You know, so it's just a matter of connecting the idea to, you know, what, what are we actually talking about? When you, just, when you try to justify yourself, you're, you're basically saying, you know, my behavior was right because of X, Y, or Z. Or it was understandable because of these other influences. Well, when we start talking about being justified with God, when we talk about being, having been made righteous, we're saying that you know it had nothing to do with what you did it had everything to do with what Jesus did that this is completely and totally a gift and the book of Romans is focused on God's righteousness given to us as a gift and chapter 5 is it's it's kind of taking that to a next level uh, it, it's a, it's not a breaking point, but it's, it's, it's a significant step in how he's talking about what God has done. And he says that we have been justified by faith. Um, literally, it says from faith. And the main reason I point that out is because if you go back to Romans 1, uh, 16, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for is the power of God unto salvation. You know, for the justified will be, or the Saved by faith. But it, ah, sorry. I'm going to look it up because I just butchered it. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. So I'm, I'm just, you know, through faith is fine. There's nothing wrong with that translation. But uh, I... I I think sometimes, you know, being a consistent, you know, with how you say things, it, it helps us to connect things back. You know, so what we're really talking about here when we're talking about this, this justification from faith is God's salvation, the power of God to redeem his people. Um, and, and we receive that righteousness purely by faith. And so... Since we haven't been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It all has sort of a once and done feel to it. It does. Mother Teresa said she had periods of doubt in her life. 
Yeah. And I can't say that I did any better than she did. No. Uh, when faith sort of comes and goes, does our justification do that? Do we have to die at just the right time? So what's going on there is, I'm going to say you, but I'm using that as a universal you, okay? Um, what goes on when, when, when that happens is you are assuming that your faith is rooted in your feeling of having faith. And, uh, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, I've been working through a, a document that Luther put together for a debate called the, uh, the Heidelberg Disputation. And um, one of the things that he points out in there is that once you come to faith, then all of a sudden you have all these questions. That apart from faith, often people feel very content and very secure. Not always, but often. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm nice. I don't kick cats, you know. Kind of that, you know, I, you, you, they have their metrics that as long as they're kind of living up to them, they, they feel pretty good about themselves. And uh, uh, once we come to faith, then we see that, oh my goodness, God's law is behind all of this and, and it's unkeepable. I can't do all of this stuff. And there's always some kind of accusation that's pushing at us. And there's always something that, that, that is raising those doubts in us. You'll hear this in the sermon uh, a little bit later. Um, there's always somebody asking the question, did God really say? You know, there is an antagonistic force at work in our lives. Uh, you know, the devil, the world, our sinful nature. And, and so all of those things are going to be pushing against faith. And as much as we would like to be able to be like, I am Roxa, I am Superman or woman. It's just not our experience. And so when we, when we look at faith as a gift that the Holy Spirit gives us, and it's something that we receive, then it's not about how do I feel. It's about what is God doing? Has he given me faith? Yeah, how do I know? I was baptized. I've heard the word. I, I'm, I'm you know, receiving the sacrament. These are all things that you could point to objectively from the outside in, you know, where God promises to work in our lives. Okay, what has God promised? You know, well, he's promised that my sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake. You know, what did Jesus do for me? He died. He shed his blood for me. All of it is on the outside. And when our salvation is rooted on what's on the outside, including the gift of faith, you know, we don't, we don't even make that up ourselves. Then those doubts come and you're like, yep, I expected that. Does that get at what you're, what you're pointing yeah, at? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I can remember as an adolescent telling my pastor, you know, I, I think I believe, but I don't really know if I believe. How, do I, how can I believe what I believe? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Don. Would you say our, our faith also, our faith isn't perfect because we're imperfect, right? right? I, mean, I would say our faith is perfect because God has given it, but our experience of it is imperfect. Because we are imperfect, so I think of I think of um, uh, when when 
When Jesus took the disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, up on the mountain for transfiguration, they come down and they find the rest of the disciples with a crowd, and they're trying to heal a little boy uh, who is possessed by an evil spirit. And they're not successful. You know, and so when people see Jesus, they come running to him, and, and Jesus is talking to the, the, the father of this child, and he gets the whole kind of background. You know, he has these seizures, and sometimes the spirit throws him into water and tries to drown him. Sometimes it throws him into fire and tries to burn him. You know, and it's been his whole life. And he says, Jesus, if you can do anything, you know, please help us. And it's one of those moments where Jesus looked, if? All things are possible for those who believe. And I love the father's response right after that. He says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, doubting is not actually the problem. Unbelief is the problem. And so when we have faith as a gift, yeah, we're going to experience all of these doubts. It's when we refuse to believe, when we reject the gift, that that becomes problematic. How do you define unbelief versus doubt? <sighs> unbelief is when we come to a point where we absolutely reject what God has said or promised. So I think of Thomas after the resurrection. Thomas, before the resurrection, you know, um, he's pretty bold and pretty brash. Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem. Thomas is the one who says, well, let's go with him and that we might die with him. Okay? But after the resurrection, um, it isn't... So they, Jesus appears to, the, to um, ten, right? And uh, actually, it's more than that, but we'll just, we'll just talk about the... the, the the core group there for a moment. Um, he, uh, he appears to them. They share that message with Thomas. Thomas's response is not, oh, I, I doubt that that's even possible. It's, um, excuse me, but unless I put my fingers in the holes and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. It's not skepticism. It's rejection of the message. So the story that you were just saying about the possessed boy, yeah. is that better translated as doubt then versus unbelief? Because he's not rejecting that. But if you could... Yeah, but... It, well, maybe. Because it doesn't sound like he's like, you can't do it. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he doubts Jesus for a moment. Lord, I believe, help. But he, but he says, Lord, help my unbelief. You know, because he's experienced that this isn't the first time he's tried to, you know, get his child cured. Um, and the disciples couldn't do it. Um... Okay. Uh, you know. Maybe an example is I don't. Jesus says if we believe, we can move mountains. I think something along those lines. 
If you have faith as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. You can say to this mountain, be uprooted and, and tossed in the sea. I, I believe that, but I doubt it. I, I just don't picture myself moving a mountain, but I really believe what Jesus said. Uh, it, it, it's a tough kind of a line to, to make. Yeah, and, and I do think that sometimes um, we, we might be like splitting hairs when we're talking about these things. Um, but there's also a difference between how we experience and God's reality. You know, in our experience, we are definitely sinners. In God's reality, you are definitely a saint. You know, and, uh, um, and I'm losing my thread here. Um, we went from doubt to unbelief to kind of teasing those two things apart. Um, and I think that a lot of times in our lives when we experience doubt, our fear is that it is unbelief. And it might from the outside be really hard to tell one from the other. And that's why allowing faith to be a gift that God gives that comes from the outside, it's a pretty significant difference that my confidence is not in how I feel, but it's in what Jesus has done and what he has said. So it takes the responsibility off of us. Oh, absolutely. Faith, you know, because then if, if it's a gift, we, are, we, have, we don't have to, oh no, do I have enough? Is it, do I really have that? It's already given to us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The responsibility is definitely off of us. You know, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You know, what do dead people do? Nothing. They lay there, they rot, you know. Um, but now you are alive in Christ. So if you're dead in your trespasses and sins, the gift of life is, um, it's, it's the same thing as the gift of faith. So apart from Jesus, you know, that's where we were. But now we've been made alive in Christ. By the way, dead people don't really feel much, too. You know, and so sometimes these things that we're feeling, they're very much related to the fact that, that um, we have faith. And in that faith, we care about our connection back to God and his will in our lives. Um, and I'm probably making a bigger mess for myself here. Uh, I think of uh, the sin against the Holy Spirit. You know, how do I know if I've, I've you know, done this unforgivable sin? And uh, I remember t asking my pastor about that when I was a kid, and he said, if, you, if, you, if you're worried about it, you didn't do it. <laughs> I get caught in that loop sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> because if you're worried about it, that means that, that you actually have a connection back to, you know, who God is and what he's done for you, a, a faith and trust relationship there that you don't want to violate. That you've heard God's word about his judgment, but also about his promises. While you're splitting hairs, um, sweet. Did you just have a choice? Oh, you. <laughs> what, did, what did I say during the sermon, Don? There you go. People get all twisted on the doctrine of election. 
you know, which is what you're talking about there. You know, the doctrine of election is not in the Bible in order so that you can kind of look and say, well, what about this person, what about this person? It's actually there for you to say, you were chosen. Um, I love the way that C.S. Lewis talks about this, actually. Um, some of my favorite theology books are called The Chronicle of Narnia. Um, in, in, in The Horse and His Boy, which most people roundly hate, but I think is one of the best of the books in terms of you know, living the Christian faith. Shasta, uh, the, the main character, uh, is confronted by the lion Aslan, and he has actually done something to somebody else. And, uh, um, and he asks the question, do you mean that if I hadn't done that, that she would be where she needs to be and everything would be fine? And he says to him, Son, I was telling you your story, not hers. In other words, you know, don't worry about, you know, what I'm doing in another person's life. This is what I'm doing in your life. Be confident in the work that I'm doing in you. Now, part of the work that he does in us is he leads us out to share the good news with others. That you know, I'm, I'm not saying that you know we just kind of look at the world and don't care about what's going on out there. But when it comes to our salvation, our confidence is in what he has done from the outside, so that you know we have hope in him and in what he has done for us. So, I didn't put homework on here, but you could read the horse and his boy because it's. It's a good read. Yeah. I think another thing is we have to realize that our brains are not as good as God. And that there are a lot of things involved in what he does and what he expects of us. That if he came down and sat next to us and explained it, we still wouldn't get it. And that's part of what faith is. God knows what he's doing and that's all we have to know really is God knows. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about God being omnipotent and omniscient and, and all of those attributes, those omnis, um, then yeah, there is definitely a sense of, you know, I, I just pull back and let him be God. Um, and, uh, you know, I like to look at that in, in, terms, of, uh, uh, in terms of trust. And I don't necessarily trust God because he's omnipotent and omniscient. Um, uh, you could be omniscient, omnipotent and omniscient and be evil. But I trust God because he's loved me in his son and uh, done the work in order to redeem me and reconcile, him, reconcile me to, my, to himself so that when I experience his, you know, he knows more and all of that, that's always rooted back to, and he's loved me. And sometimes the things he does, we can't see the love. Right. So sometimes when things happen in our lives that we don't understand, um, you know. It's God when I needed it. Yeah, and we're actually going to get to that in Romans 8, right? Uh, God works to the good of those who love him and, uh, and keep his commandments, right? Um, and uh, what will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Life, death, 
you know, nakedness, sword, all of those. Nope, none of it. You know, and, uh, um, you know, that ability to, to trust him. You know, it, it, even when we're going through, uh, through things, through bad things and suffering in our lives, um, we, uh, we look at that and we, I, I, I know the one that I'm trusting in. You know, I, the faith that has come to me and the hope that has come to me, um, you know, and that does allow us to have some peace in those difficult times. And I think if God came and sat down next to us and explained the whole thing to us, we still wouldn't get it. Maybe. Maybe. He's a good explainer, though. Yes. That doesn't mean I'm going to understand this. <laughs> but that's what the gift of the Holy Spirit does. So, he'll give us what we need. All right. I have given up hope on getting through five verses, just for the record. <laughs> At this point, I'm hoping to get through this page. So we have peace with God. Um, this is actually something that's, that's a really important concept, you know, that uh, uh, it, it's not just, you know, my sins are forgiven, but I have peace. Or as you know, we would read in uh, Corinthians, we are reconciled to God. Um, and if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 15, where God confronts Adam and Eve uh, and the serpent after that initial sin, remember what God says in verse 15. He says, I have put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. If God has to put enmity between humanity and the devil... That means he has to drive a wedge between them. That means that they were allied. And to be allied or aligned with the devil is to be in rebellion or conflict with God. And so as he drives that wedge, he's doing that work to give us peace with himself. And this, is, of course, is fulfilled in, you know, her seed who crushes the serpent's head and his heel is, is crushed in the process. So um, in Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, um, Haggai is one of the minor prophets. He writes uh, after uh, the Israelites have been taken into captivity. And uh, I think that they're in the process of coming back. Um, I, 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 I should look at that more closely. But he's talking about the temple, and the temple has been destroyed. And for the Jews, the temple is the place where you meet God. That is the place where God dwells in our midst. That is the sign that we have peace with God, because he is among us. Okay? And it's gone. It's been torn down. The gold was taken to Babylon and, you know, I mean, all the way, everything that could be taken was taken and the thing was torn down. And so where is their peace with God? Where is he in their midst? And Haggai says this, the latter glory of this house, house is the temple, okay? The latter glory of this temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. And he's pointing ahead to a new temple, which Jesus refers to as his own body. 
So that the place where where we find peace with God is actually in Jesus. That's where he is present among us to give us forgiveness and life and salvation. So sin puts us in a situation where we are under God's wrath. You can look ahead to verse 9. But Jesus then is the place where we find peace with God where we are reconciled to him, where we find ourselves in that place of wholeness and wellness in his presence. Remember that in chapter 4, verse 25, it says that Jesus, and that's the verse right before. Um, it, it, so we're, we're, well, we're still in verse 1. Um, chapter 4, verse 25 says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised in our justification, therefore... You know, so basically, because Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification, we have been justified through faith. He was raised for the very purpose of making us righteous. And this is no small thing. You know, this really is a big deal. One of the things that I wonder sometimes is, do we understand the severity of sin's impact on people. You know, I think that we we have our, our our favorite targets that we like to look at and say, yeah, look at that, and you know, it's harmful to them and, and, and so on and, and so forth. You know, so drugs and alcohol and you know these things, these social sins that are, are obvious from the outside. But what about envy? Envy is pretty socially acceptable, isn't it? What does that do to a person? What about gossip? Well, it's, it's so easy to say, I can have envy and not let it affect what I do. Right. But in effect, it's very difficult to, to accomplish that. If, if, no matter if you try to stop it up at one place, it oozes out around the corners. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that with jealousy too. Yeah. These these are sins. They're just socially acceptable. You know, in the wisdom of the world, we can you know, well, okay, no big deal. You didn't kill anybody yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the other hand. It's sort of hard to simply decide not to envy. It is. It but is. You, you need to, it, it goes back to the, the peace of God and realizing that what you're envious about is really not that big an issue. Yeah. You know, I think, I, I'm very confident from the world's point of view that sin is, you know, well, there might not even be such a thing. Um, but uh, I think that a lot of times, you know, we look at this and we don't understand how corrosive and poisonous and deadly it is in all of its forms. You know, and uh, you know, as it as it eats away at us and at others, I I I think that you know when we when we look at who we are in, in light of Christ. Um, 
these are behaviors that, that we're called to confess, we're called to reject, um, and, uh, and often in our sinful nature, we like to dabble in them. You know, and we're like, well, my sins are forgiven, so what's the big deal? Well, you know, it's just a little bit of arsenic, you know? What's the big deal? It's just a little bit of poison. Oh, I my, favorite, my favorite example of this. I don't even remember where I read this. It's just so awful. Are you ready? A mom was making brownies. And, uh, um, you know, and uh, her, her daughter had been watching a uh, just completely and totally inappropriate movie. You know, and just, you know, the bad language and the sex and the violence and, and, and all of that. And she had, you know, spoken with her about that. And, and, and you know, oh, mom, it's just a little bit. What's the big deal? Maybe you've had a conversation like that at some point or another on one end or the other. And uh, so the mom's making brownies and daughter comes in. Oh, that smells so good. Oh, I love brownies. Thanks, mom. Sure, cuts her a little piece, puts it on a plate, and she's about to take it, and she pulls it back just a little bit. Um, just so you know, I put a pinch of dog poop in there. What? Why would you do that? Don't worry about it, sweetie. It's just a little bit. It's just, a, you know, it's no big deal. It's just a little bit. Here you go. And just, you know, and I, I just find that to be such a graphic example, you know, because don't we do that with sin? It's just a little, just a little. Yeah, it, it, it's poisonous through the whole thing. It, actually, I don't know if dog poop is poisonous. I hope to never find out. <laughs> but um, yeah. the, the idea that it, you know this stuff is noxious and we don't want it in our lives, and I think that a lot of times you know we're willing to tolerate more than we should. Um, do we think that our behavior after we've been right, made righteous doesn't matter? You know, I'm forgiven. I can do whatever I want. No. No. In Galatians, it says, for freedom Christ has set you free. But don't use your freedom as a cloak for evil. You know, one of the big themes of, of the Reformation and in Lutheranism is that our will is not actually free. It's bound. It's bound in sin. So when a lot of people, when they talk about, I have free will, the correct answer is, yes, you do. You are free to sin all you want. Because that's the choice that you'll make. That's, the, that's what free will chooses. And so when Christ sets us free, part of that freedom is... I am free to do the things that God calls me to do in faith. And that's a, that's a pretty significant shift in, in how we think. And, and I, I, I'm, I'd be willing to bet that I made some people a little bit uncomfortable with that thought. Um, because that is really not American evangelicalism. Because Lutherans are not American evangelicals. We're... We're kind of our own thing. If you ask Catholics, we're you know evangelicals. If you ask evangelicals, we're Catholics. You know, we're like, yeah, we're Lutherans. We're us. I think the other thing is not only about a little bit, but it's about later. 
Yeah. I know. I hear you right. I should, and, and I, I should become like exercise. Yeah, I should, and I will, you know, and I'll start doing this eventually. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's another track we can fall into. It's just a little bit, or yeah, I know, and I'll stop eventually. Yeah. Um, half a second. Um, so I think it's in the large catechism where Luther says that the devil is like a serpent. Once the head comes in, everything else will follow. So that little bit, and then what comes after? You know, in, in our experience, it might be, well, I will do this later on. But that little bit comes in, and there's a whole bunch that's going to follow with it. Yeah. It's not even always about ourselves. It's about the example we're setting. Other people know you're a Christian, yep. and, but they see they see you sinning. Like, yeah. you know, and it's like, oh, okay, well, it's okay with them, it's okay with me. But maybe that person's not a Christian, and they don't have the forgiveness. You know what I mean? Like, I do. But I, but I also want to be careful with that because I do think that it, an important part of our witness is that we are forgiven. And for people to, to be able to know that, uh, for people to understand that we are forgiven, they do need to know that we are sinners. Not that we go out of our way to prove it. It happens pretty easily. But I, you know, I do think that sometimes um, that uh, the way that we think about how we witness to the world is that we present this perfect picture. And I'm not saying that that's what you are saying, but you know, I, 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 I've run into that in other, other places who then, you know, they say, well, I have to set this example, you know, and, and they're probably coming from a very different place. Um, but uh, uh, they say that, you know, because I've set this example, then I've been a good witness. Well, maybe you've been a good witness to the law, but have you been a good witness to the gospel? Um, I am a sinner who's forgiven and therefore changed as opposed to the stereotypical, you know, what you see on TV, you know, what the world actually uh, observes of Christianity, you know, that we are self-righteous and you know, uh, judgmental, you know. Um, and uh, I, I have uh, actually tweaked the responsibilities of a sponsor in, in our liturgy. I know it's probably been a while since you've seen our, our, our baptismal rite here, but one of the things that I talk about with the, the sponsor you know, is, yep, you're going to pray for them, you're going to make sure they have God's word, you're going to encourage them to be educated in the faith, to receive the Lord's Supper when the time is right, and all of those things. But the, the job of a sponsor is to be an example of the life of faith, that we love God, love our neighbor. And on top of that, to show them what it means to trust in Jesus for forgiveness for our sins. To be a forgiven sinner. Yeah? Well, we, post, I mean, we, we know that we're not perfect and we can't be perfect. Right. We know that. But people who are not Christians don't always understand all those no. signs. Oh, no, no, no. And, you know, just not wanting to be a stumbling block. To yes. Things. Yes, yes. Absolutely. That's very biblical. You know, we don't want to we don't want to put stumbling blocks before people, but we also want to make sure that they're getting the right message from us. You know, I'm not you know I'm not better than you know I'm forgiven, and uh, and it's only by the work of the Holy Spirit in my life that you know uh, I made the right choice because God's at work in me. 
Is that... But I think, no, that that can require us then to like to be able to say that, you know, if somebody sees you sin, you know, the expletive flies out and whatever, whatever, I think to be able to say, I'm sorry, you know, that was blah, 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 blah you know, to, to kind of model that, well, not that we're perfect, but to show an acknowledgement of our sin and of our forgiveness. Yeah, repentance. You know, so the life of, of the, the Christian faith is a life of repentance where we turn away from sin, but we're also admitting when we fall short. And uh, I, I sometimes think that we don't have enough forgiveness in our, our vocabulary. When, when, I mean, we talk about it a lot here. But, you know, the other day, you know, nothing new. I, I blew it at home with one of the kids. You know, I, I was much harsher than I, I needed to be. And, uh, you know, the ability to say, I'm sorry, and then to hear those words, I forgive you. You know, sometimes that's really hard. You know, if somebody says, you know, I'm sorry to you, do you usually say, I forgive you? Or do you usually say something like, oh, that's okay. It's all right. It's all good. No problem. No problem. I think so too. I, I, the, the ability to speak about you are forgiven. And I think that we are uniquely positioned to be able to have that kind of uh, conversation. That's something we've been modeled with kids in preschool. You know, okay. when one kid hits another, then the other has to, you know, I'm sorry for giving you, and the other one needs to say back, you know, and try to just. And we do that with our own kids, just trying to model what that looks like. This is how you, you know, repent, and this is how you forgive. And I, think, yeah. I don't think we, even as adults, are very good at it. No, I think it's something that we really struggle with. It, it feels weird. I, I think there's an aversion to conflicts or involved in that conflict. Because if you say, I forgive you, you are acknowledging that yeah. you did something wrong. I am forgiving you for forgiving you for it. As yeah. opposed to saying, well, I'm not going to judge you, but right. let it go. But they've actually come to you and apologized because they feel they did something wrong. You know, and, yeah, that's, and we're still not comfortable saying, I forgive you. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's a, if, if you get an apology that's a real apology, the one that really bothers me is if I say something and I hurt you and I tell them, gee, I'm really sorry you were hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry I said something that made you feel bad. I'm sorry you were offended by that. I'm sorry you were hurt by that. Yeah. Yeah. That's no. That's, yeah. That's, no, it's not an apology. Yeah. Politicians love to say that. I, I'm sorry if I hurt you. I, I don't know why I've been hurt by what I did. Right. Right. So I do think I do think that turning away from sin is a big deal. That our lives should change in light of the forgiveness that we've received. It's reflected in how we talk about the, the commandments in uh, the Catechism. You know, when Luther explains almost all the, the the commandments, he starts out with this little phrase: "We should fear and love God, so that we would not." You know, in other words, in this forgiveness that we have, there are things we should not do. And then he says what we should not do, and then goes on to talk about what we really should do, the positive side of it. 
It's the mass exodus for the choir. We Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, it's not obviously mentioned in, in the second article of the Apostles' Creed, but it's, I think it's there in the way that um, Luther talks about why Jesus has died for us. And he says, you know, that Jesus shed his holy precious blood, his innocent suffering and death and all of this stuff. And he says, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. If you are in a blessed relationship with God, you have peace. I'm looking at verse 2 here and thinking, there's no way I'm getting through it. So, any comments or questions on what we've done so far? All right, then I am going to just get us started into verse 2, and uh, next week we're going to spend some time talking about uh, um, hope. But... Uh, in verse 2, just to, just to refresh our memory, because it's been a while, um, through him, through Jesus, we, also, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So through Jesus, we have, this is another passive verb. It's not something that we ginned up for ourselves it's, it's a gift that's given to us. We have access. Um, the word access literally means that we have the privilege of entrance because of faith into grace. We have access to enter into grace. So we've talked about this in the past that the word gift and grace are related in, in Greek in the language of the New Testament. And theologically speaking, grace is God's attitude toward us. It's his determination to love, to forgive, and to save us despite our sinfulness through Jesus' death and resurrection. Maybe when you were in confirmation class, your pastor used an acronym to help you to understand what grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. You've seen it. You know, uh, this is his attitude that, that he is going to pour out his grace, his blessedness on us, um, not on account of what we do, but at Christ's expense. Uh, so that from first to last for us, it's a gift. So in grace, we stand and rejoice. Um, that word rejoice, uh, it can also be translated boast. I find that interesting, you know, because boasting is something that, you know, in, in our culture, we consider that to be kind of negative, you know, and it, it can be, um, it can be a very negative thing. Um, but boasting in a positive sense can be the proclamation of the good that's been given to you, which is kind of how they're, they're connected. And I like to think about this in terms of the boasting part because the, 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 the rejoicing or the boasting is in the hope of the glory of God. It's not in what I've accomplished, it's in what God has done. You know, which, by the way, he did for you. 
okay? So when we start talking about the glory of God, um, the, the word for, for glory in, in Greek is the word doxa, as in doxology. Um, and in Hebrew, the word is kavod. I can't find the, uh, the thing that has just a solid line over the O that, you know, for the phonetic. So it has an umlaut over it. It's the wrong thing. Um, but you, know, you would pronounce that kavod. The, the, the Hebrew idea of glory, it's giving honor and it's recognizing power. And it's often associated with light. Just this, this bright, shining light. We have access into this bright light, this heavenly um, experience of God's otherness. And because we have access to God in his otherness, in his glory, we have hope that we'll participate in that, um, meaning that we'll become like him. And while this is definitely pointing us ahead to the resurrection, it's also talking about forgiveness, that, that our sins are removed, that we're declared to be holy. And our hope is connected to that. And the question that I, I, I want to get into next time that we get together is, what is hope? And we'll pick it up right there. Any comments or questions before we close with prayer? Then let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for your love and your salvation, and we pray that you would continue to pour your spirit out on us, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would help us to see that faith as a gift and to find confidence and peace in you. And uh, we pray, Lord, that as your glory is a light and we have access into that light, that you would help us to, to shine that light in the world so that others may know your love and forgiveness in their lives as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if anybody wants to learn how to make coffee, talk to Becca.